Let's pray together this morning before we look at our text. Our Father, we are are grateful uh, for this day. God, we thank you, as we've just sung about, God, that you are a good shepherd. That your son, Jesus, is the shepherd who who goes after the one that we just read about that is, that is lost. And Lord, we celebrate, we rejoice with your mission this morning that is so beautifully pictured through these stories. Father, I pray this morning that we would be a people that have much joy as we remember, God, that you have come to save that which is lost to find it. Father, thank you for being our shepherd. Even though we may wander, Father, even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we we know that you are with us, that you are there to shepherd us. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that this morning. Father, encourage our hearts today, challenge us. Uh, If we're here today and maybe we are, are curious about the things of God, maybe we are kicking the tires and trying to figure out Father, what you want for us and and maybe what Jesus means or what he is to us. And so, Lord, maybe we have some curiosity today. Lord, I I pray today that you would use the words of your scripture, these truths that we're going to look at. And, Father, that you would open our eyes to the reality of the need that we all have. And we're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of a good shepherd. We're all in need of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to know that, to know that reality, and that we would turn from whatever we're seeking to be the God or Lord of our life, whatever we're pursuing after to to feel that that hole, that void that we all have. Lord, I I pray instead that that we would turn and, and see Jesus as the one who saves, the one who gives life. So, Lord God, I pray. Now, as we go to this time of looking at your word, may you stir our hearts, may you open our eyes, may you open our ears to hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Amen. All right. All right, that's awesome. I love it. That is awesome. I love that. Well, it's a long weekend. Anybody looking to sleep in? Tomorrow morning, a little sleep in. Yeah. We need to uh, have a little conversation with our cross-country coach. He still thinks you got to get up and run in the morning. And so, gets to sleep. Yeah, oldest gets to sleep in just a little bit. All right, just a little bit. All right. So, this morning, I, I want to ask you the question, have you ever lost something that really mattered to you and and you couldn't find it. Maybe it was your keys, right? You ever been in one of those moments? Maybe it was your car. You ever had one of those? Okay. Um, maybe your purse, maybe your wallet, maybe the remote. All right, you found your glasses, maybe your glasses. Okay, maybe the remote at home, sometimes for some of us, especially with kids, that becomes a moment of tenseness or tension. Maybe your wedding ring, all right? All right. What about a kid? You ever lost a kid? You ever lost a kid? All right. Well, we, we thought we did. We, we thought we have on a few occasions. And so um, 
but they're not. They're all still with us today, so that's good. They're all uh, accounted for. But one Christmas Eve, we had had uh, our worship service here. We had gone to Annette's grandmother's house to uh, celebrate uh, Christmas. And I remember we had gotten to the house, and what do you do as a, as a, as a parent with young kids? You stay up late, right, because you've got to put stuff together. And I remember going upstairs to uh, the one room that we have up there. At that time, it kind of acted as a, as a playroom. And Annette was downstairs getting stuff ready for Christmas morning. I was upstairs gluing and putting together a train table uh, for the kids. At that time, we only had three children. And so with Noah and Grace, and then we had Pierce. And Pierce at that time, I'm thinking, what were we thinking, about two or three? He, he, what, how many fingers? Okay, two. And so... I had the windows up, all right, because I didn't want the glue to stink up the house. And we had them up, upstairs and downstairs. And, you, you know, I mean, you know Christmas is here. It's a good 70 degrees. And so uh, it wasn't too cold. And, and so I was just working away, and Annette was doing her thing. And I think we may even had Christmas music going. And then all of a sudden, it's close. I think it was almost 1 a.m. And I remember Annette saying, hey, do you know where Pierce is? And I was like, and we're thinking, well, we put him in his bed, right? Uh, so we went. He's, he's not in his bed. So we checked the other kids' beds because our kids have this thing. They like to roam at night. Sometimes they don't even know, and they ended up in other people. Uh, they're either mom and dad's beds or the, you know, the other sibling, their siblings, their, their bed. And so we looked all over the place, and we, we couldn't find Pierce. We looked all over the place. And so you can imagine, I mean, we're, so we're, I'm checking the windows, and I'm like, okay, you know, nobody's gotten in. Or, and I'm going there already, and we're looking, and we're searching, and we are, search, we are frantic. We're getting so frantic. We wake up the other kids because we're like, we can't find Pierce, <laughs> right? We're thinking, all right, maybe they can have some, you know, they can help us out in this. We cannot find it. We're looking all over the place. And I'll never forget we're looking at the couch, and I don't know who was it. Was it Grace or was it you? And I forget. One, one of I think it was one of the girls. All right, found him burrowed down in the couch cushion with a blanket completely over him, and he was just submerged to where, if you were to look at it, you would have no thought that I mean, he's not there. Right, And we, we finally found him. I will never forget the joy and how long we held on to him. Because that was really like the first moment we ever thought, okay, we have a kid missing. Right? Um, there have been a, a couple other times with Eliana, but we don't have time to share that. Uh, <laughs> she has also caused our heart to skip a few beats a couple occasions. All right? She's awesome as number four. She's great. Um, lostness. Right? But man, when you... When you find the thing that you lose, you rejoice. You're excited. You're excited. Well, here in Luke chapter 15, in this beautiful, great, classic chapter, we find a trilogy of parables. Now, many of you guys are familiar with trilogies. Remember the first set of Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings, even some of you students in here, the trilogy of the great high school musical, right? Uh, so, <laughs> that's not really a trilogy classic. All right. So, but we're familiar with trilogies. But, but this is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. This is a, is a, is a beautiful set of stories that, that speak of the beautiful gospel. 
Some have called it the gospel with, within the gospel, these beautiful stories. And they're truly like no other. But, but they tell us something. Each story does. It tells us about the mission of God. It tells us about the hope that we all can have because of our loving God. And so today as we look at this, I want you to keep those things in mind. And really, we're just going to see three things here. And, and when I say three things, there are really three sections today. And there's going to be a lot of truths that come out of them. The first thing I want you to see is this. And this is significant. The context gives us this truth. And this truth is vital for all of us today. All of us. All of mankind. And the first thing I want us to see as we begin is that Jesus came for sinners. He came for sinners. And that's good news for us. It's great news. And so look at verses 1 through 2 as, as we begin today, and we get the setting, we get the context, but we get a great truth here that I don't want you to miss. All right, so listen to what it says. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And Jesus was very popular during this day. His popularity was growing. People wanted to listen to him. They wanted to hear his words. Remember, people would come to him to be healed. He would feed thousands on on a couple occasions, if not more. And, and so Jesus, his popularity is growing. And so you have these tax collectors, these sinners, who are coming near to listen to him. And then it says in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Now before we get to the two stories that we're going to look at today, I, I want us to see the context here. The first group I want us to see is these tax collectors that are part of the audience that are coming to Jesus to listen to him. Who are the tax collectors and why are they so important? And why are they on several occasions, actually many occasions, referred to throughout the Gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John? Well, here's why. The tax collectors were those who were hired by the Roman rulers to go out and collect taxes in certain areas. They would go and uh, these people would go and purchase the right so they would bid for these jobs to go with their own money to go out and collect taxes. And so as a result of that, they would uh, maybe pay 20 bucks to, to get a job, and then they would go out and collect that tax from a person and charge that person 40. So that's kind of how it kind of works. So they would charge more because what? They wanted to make up for maybe what they had charged, and they also wanted to make some as, as well. And so these tax collectors would do that as they would pocket the leftover. And so I want you to understand that these people who would go and do this were, were viewed as more than people who would just uh, cheat people of money or maybe steal money uh, from Jews. They, they were viewed as, as more than that, and, he, and here's why. Um, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire they ruled Israel, and Rome at this time rules from England to India. And so this is a, a very oppressive empire. They will kill thousands of men, women, and children. They would hold up Caesar as God. And if you would not worship Caesar, what would they do? They, they would kill you or uh, give you a long-suffering death. Many of times they would crucify you outside your village as a reminder to others that they ruled and they were in control and authority and power. And to rule such a huge mass of land uh, and, and people, they had to have what? You had to have a huge army. 
You had to have many soldiers in many different areas. And so how do you fund such an army, such control? Taxes. Taxes. And so it was not uncommon for people in the first century to be taxed as high as like 90% of their income, history tells us. And so the unthinkable was this when you think about a tax collector. The Jews who believed God had chosen them as the, those who were to be the light of the world to carry his name to the nations. What were they doing? They were being taxed by their own people who were employed by the Romans. Their own would pay for the rights to tax other Jews. And so they could make some money, and in doing so, they were funding their own oppression of their people. So how unthinkable is that when you think about it? It's a betrayal like no other, and so that's why the tax collectors were hated. Who's a familiar tax collector that we know? He's a chief tax collector. Luke 19, his name is Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man up in the tree? And Jesus would go spend some time at his house. And he tells Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. So why are the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling? It's because these guys, right, in their view, they're no good. They're no good. Who's the second group? Sinners. Now we look at that, and, and we've been in church for a while. We we. we we know what sin is. We, we know that, the idea of sinners. We know verses like Romans 3.23 that says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this idea of sinners here um, carries the idea back then is that um, this isn't necessarily everybody. The, the, the Jews had an idea, especially the Pharisees and the religious crew in the first century, that sinners were a class of people. Kind of like in India where they have a caste system. If you were born a beggar, okay, you were always uh, going to be a beggar in their view. And they called people like that sinners. People who, who you never had a chance to, to better your life. They were people of low moral character a lot of times. Uh, some broke the law. Some were viewed as unclean. And so this included um, questionable jobs like prostitutes, obviously. right? It, it included uh, those that were even shepherds back then. We have this noble view of shepherds back in the Old Testament, right? But as you, you move on in time, especially in the first century, shepherds were robbers and thieves and stealers a lot of times, people who would, would take things. They were viewed as, as dirty and unclean because they worked with dirty animals. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, religious people, did not have a high view of shepherds. And so they also were in this category of sinner. It was also those who had deformities, those who were deaf, they were blind, who were mute, who were lepers. Remember, they're viewed as unclean people. Remember in John chapter 9, when Jesus' disciples asked him, Who sinned? Who sinned? Did this man who was born blind or his parents? Okay. What was their view? Their, their view is that people had these certain deformities, these certain diseases, was because of a sin that they committed or maybe somebody else in their family had committed. Obviously, views in error. And so these were the sinners. And so these are the two groups that are coming to Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, now who are they? Both the Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to grumble. They didn't agree with Jesus' action. And so this will eventually escalate to his suffering and his 
crucifixion. The Pharisees were what you would call maybe doctors of uh, the Jewish law. And, and what did they believe? What did they follow along with the scribes? They were kind of like, uh, the Pharisees were the professionals. The scribes were kind of like the laymen of the law. And so they were the so-called righteous of the community. They have it all figured out. They're the guys to go to. Uh, they are following the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the law of Moses. And they believed that if you obeyed the Torah, that you lived a godly life, and that that was the way until salvation. Okay? So they were what you would call religious legalists. They had hundreds upon hundreds of laws that they lived upon. And by, and they would even add to it. They believed that by obeying the law, that's how one would receive salvation. And so this is the crew. They had a complaint. They, they were grumbling. What was their issue? This man, Jesus, eats with sinners. Not only that, he receives them. He receives and eats with them. Think about what Jesus has done in his ministry. He's definitely done that. He's received the tax collectors. He's eaten with them. He even have one, has one who's part of his, his team, the 12 disciples, Matthew. He's a tax collector. And so you think about Jesus. He has definitely done this. What does it mean to receive back then someone and to eat with them? If you were to eat with them, it means you were to welcome them into fellowship. It means accepting another as a friend. That's where we get the idea that Jesus is a friend to sinners. And the thing that, that really stirred the Pharisees is that he would actually sit down and eat with them. And if you would eat with a sinner or a tax collector back then, the Pharisees believed that you would be defiled, that you were unclean. And so that's how they saw Jesus. So for them to sit down and share a meal was a big deal, was a big deal. And that was offensive to them. And so I want you to see the context here. This, this is what Jesus came for. He came for the tax collectors, those who are hated in the culture, those who are in need of saving. He came for sinners. He came for the sick. He came for the lame. He came for the broken. That's what he came for. And so today, that, that should encourage us, because the Bible does say that we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so really, we can be in two places this morning. We, we can be the tax collectors and sinners, right? But we can also be like the Pharisees, can't we? I mean, we all can be like the Pharisees at times. This was the crew that thought they had it all figured out. They were the religious people. And so where do we fall this morning? Do, do we realize our need for Jesus? Or are we like the Pharisees crew that think we have it all figured out? And so they grumbled. But listen to how Jesus responds to their grumbling. He tells a story. And here's how he begins. Look at the first parable, parable of the lost sheep. And we'll look at just the, the two real quick this morning, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But look at verse 3 through 4. So Jesus told them this parable. He, he tells the Pharisees, they're the, the main audience at this time, who is upset, but also the sinners and the tax collectors are hearing this. 
And so they're words that, that are really going to be thrown in the face of the religious leaders, but words of hope for the sinners and the tax collectors. And so look at verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture or the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And so in this culture, sheep and shepherds, very familiar with this. And so these people would understand such a story. And so who are sheep? What do we know about sheep? They're, they're unclean animals. Have you ever seen a sheep before? You know those little lint rollers that you roll? and you're, That's like what a sheep is. It collects everything, right, on, on its wool. They're, they're dirty. They're dirty animals. Are sheep very smart? No. I mean, sheep are, are stupid. They're, they're foolish. I mean, anyone seen a, a sheep that's ever been taught to, to roll over, to sit, or to shake your hand? I mean, that, they don't exist, all right? At least I haven't seen it. I mean, you might go on YouTube today and find one. I don't know, but they don't e- exist. They have horrible vision, right? Sheep are fearful. They can't defend themselves. And so, in this story, think about it here. Here's this one that has wandered off, has drifted off. He's alone. What does that mean? He's a goner because he can't protect himself against prey, against wolves. That's who sheep were and, and are today. But look at this shepherd here. How many sheep does he have? He has 100. Okay? So what it means is this. He's not poor, right? but it does mean he's probably in the middle class, and so he has some money. And so in that culture, many times someone would have a servant. Many times they would maybe hire out one to be their shepherd, to shepherd the sheep. And so Pharisees would understand that. The religious crew would understand that. Everybody in the audience would understand. Yeah, if somebody had under sheep, they were middle class, probably had a servant that would help them with the sheep. And so if one lost a sheep, he would probably send a servant to go get it, to go find this one. And that's what probably the Pharisees expected Jesus to say, but he didn't. Instead, what, what does he say? He says the, the shepherd, the, this, this one who owns the hundred, he goes. So not a servant, not a hired hand, but the one who owns. And so listen to what happens here. This shepherd takes it upon himself to go out and find the one. So why is this significant? I, I think it's the first sign in this parable that Jesus is going to refer, refer to himself. He's the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. John 10, 11 tells us that. That's who Jesus is. And so right out of the gates, even with this, this part of the story, I, I believe the Pharisees are a little shock and awe here. They're, they're being kind of put this story in their face. Jesus is doing that. And so none of the Pharisees would have done this. None of them would have gone after that lost sheep, right? They, they would send somebody else to do it. But, but basically what Jesus is saying here is to the Pharisees, you're the problem. You're not the answer, Pharisees. Judaism, you're, you're not the solution. Instead, what Jesus is saying is I'm the solution. Jesus is saying, I'm the answer. 
Now, what does the shepherd do, this one who owns the hundred? Look at the end of verse 4. Does he not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? So what does this shepherd do? He begins to take a risky journey. He's going to go through the wilderness to find this one sheep, potentially rough terrain. The hearers understand what this could have meant. This could take a day. This could be a while. Because listen to what it says here. He will go until he finds it. And so what is this? It's a mission. It's a mission to go and to find that which is lost. So what does it mean to be lost? If we were just to look at the idea of lostness in this story. To be lost means to be far off. And particularly right here, to be far off from the shepherd. It's the opposite of being found, right? It's the state of not being found. And so we're really thinking about this story spiritually, which Jesus obviously wants us to do. Isaiah 53, 6, what does the prophet tell us? He says about us that all of us are like sheep. We're just like sheep. We can be foolish at times. We can wander off. We can make poor decisions. We can be fearful. We don't see things like we should see things. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, we're unclean. We do things we shouldn't. And that's what it says in Isaiah 53, 6. All of us have, are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's the problem, right? We've turned to our own way. And so this shepherd in the story is on a mission to take that which was lost and to make it found. The reality is many people do not know that they are lost. And you can't be found until you realize and understand and know that you are lost. And that's the problem the Pharisees had. The Pharisees are lost. But because of their hard religious hearts, they don't even realize it. They're caught up in religion. They have a religious posture and we're missing out on a true relationship with God. Yesterday I was hanging out with the family and we were hanging out with another family and uh, me and the, um, the dad, we were out uh, talking and grilling and stuff. He was grilling and he was telling me a story about um, a couple guys he knows, he, clients of his that he talks to and he was telling me that, that one of them in particular um, has shared with him just where he is um, in speaking about spirituality and um, God. And, and he was sharing that he was a Mormon. And as he was talking about uh, his views and, and what he believed in, um, and as we were discussing around the grill, I, I thought to myself, here is one who thought he, he had it all figured out. But, but in reality was, was missing it, was, was caught in religion because that's what Mormonism is. Mormon, Mormonism is religion. It's not a denomination of Christianity, even though they believe that and think that. But Mormonism is a religion. Why? Because they believe, all right, by good works, by good things that they can do, that, that they, they can attain heaven. And they also have a false view of who Jesus is. They do not believe that they are saved by Jesus alone. 
And so they do not realize that they are lost. That's exactly with where these Pharisees are. They do not know that they are lost. And so the mission of the shepherd that we see right here is the beautiful picture of Jesus. It's the beautiful picture of our God, that he is on a mission. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. In Luke 19, it it tells us this, For the Son of Man, in verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus has come. And so what we see right here is also the mission of the shepherd in this story is also the mission of the church. You see, as a church, we must take a missionary posture just like God has. You know, Jesus came as a missionary, the missionary, on a missionary purpose sent from God to bring those who are lost that they may be found into the kingdom of God. And that's the posture we should take as a church, not a religious posture like these Pharisees and religious crew do as they shun the sinners as they shun the tax collectors. And so in this story, look what happens in verse 5. As the shepherd goes out and he will look for the lost one until he finds it, it says in verse 5, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. A lot of times what a lost sheep will do is it will lie down and refuse to budge because it's afraid, it's scared, it's helpless, it's frightened. And so what a shepherd would do is traditionally when they would find this sheep, they would take the sheep and pick it up, right? Put it up over their shoulders. Two legs hanging over each side behind uh, beside their their head and they would grab the legs like this to let the the sheep know that, hey, listen, I, I got you. And they would hold the sheep secure to control them. And so the shepherd is to force now to carry the sheep probably a long distance over to the terrain. Another risky travel trip back to the 99. And so what do we see about the shepherd? The shepherd is willing to pay the price. Willing to count the cost. And that's what Jesus came to do. John 10, 11, it tells us that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd does this, lays down his life for the sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, the second part of this verse that we read earlier. All of us are like sheep. We have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, our sin, burden, to fall on us all. Or excuse me, uh, of us to fall on him. And so think about this. This beautiful picture of the sheep that the shepherd goes and puts on his shoulders. That's what Jesus has done. He's allowed and caused the sin of us all to fall on himself. That's what God has done when we were helpless, when we were sinners. He sent his son. And he put the sin, our sin, upon his son. He bore it. And so the shepherd does this. And he rejoices. That's what Jesus did. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus went through the wilderness. Jesus took us upon his shoulders and he died upon the cross, bearing our sin, paying for the price of our sin. 
He was the substitute for us. He took our place. The Bible tells us because of our sin, the wages of our sin, that we receive death, that we are separated from Christ. We are these sheep who are separated from our shepherd. We're lost. But Jesus came to give us the free gift of eternal life. And he did that through his death on the cross. And look at the rest of the story. Luke 15, verse 6. When he comes home, this shepherd, he called together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. There's excitement over this one that has been found. The shepherd rejoices with the community. Why? These families and these neighbors. Some of them may even own part of these sheep. Sometimes that would happen back then. They would put uh, sheep from different families in the same flock, so that could have been part of the reason. The loss of a sheep from the flock is, is a matter of concern for the entire community. And so this lost sheep is a community loss. And so the community rejoices together when this lost sheep is found. And what does that point to? It points to the church today. It points to the community of believers and what we are to do when one is found. When one goes from being lost to trusting and following in Jesus. We're to be joyful. We're to rejoice. We're to be excited together. And so another key theme that we see in this parable is joy, is rejoicing. The church is to be a joyful people, a rejoicing people over those who come to know Jesus as their good shepherd, as their savior. And then look at verse 7, in Luke 15, verse 7. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So what is Jesus doing right here? He, again, is talking about rejoicing. He's talking about joy. He's saying just like in the story, just like with the shepherd who, who comes to his community, comes home, and he's rejoicing over the fact that he has found the sheep, and the community is joining him with him. This is what God does in heaven. God is rejoicing in heaven. Heaven is rejoicing. Over what? One sinner who repents. I love what Jesus does in this parable. He, he shows the tax collectors. He shows the sinners who have been pushed away from the Pharisees, who have been pissed, pushed away by the religious crew. What does he show them? Jesus shows them, hey, listen, you have value. You have value. You are not a nobody like they're telling you. You matter. They're telling you you don't, but Jesus is saying you matter. So much so that I came to lay my life down for you. And so Jesus says here, the sinner that repents. There's joy in heaven over that. What is repentance? Another theme in this parable. Remember what Isaiah 53, 6 says. It says that we have turned to our own way. That's the condition. That's the position we are in before we come to know Jesus. We're living according to our own way. We're following something else other than the God of the Bible. But when we repent, 
we're turning from that. We're turning from our own way. We're turning from whatever else we're trusting is. And whatever else we're, we're looking to, to be our God, to, to save us. We're turning from that. And we're turning instead to God. We're turning to Jesus. We're turning to the truth. We're turning to trust and to follow in Jesus. And so the lost sheep was found by the shepherd. And he represents this repentant sinner. And what does Jesus contrast this repentant sinner to, this sheep that is found to? He contrasts it to the 99. Who's the 99? They're the righteous persons, he says here, who need no repentance. The, the 99 righteous persons that are represented here, they represent the self-righteous Pharisees, these, these scribes. And so Jesus was using the term righteous in irony here. They were not really righteous at all, were they? No. But they considered themselves to be. So for Jesus, all are lost sheep. All are in need of repentance, turning from their own way to the way of Christ, to following him. And this parable does something radically. It's a new understanding of, of, I believe, the nature of repentance and that it equates being found with repentance. And so I want to make sure we understand here, repentance is not a work which earns our rescue. And so I want us to think about this for a second. This, the sheep that, that's lost, does it do anything to be found? No. Think about the sheep. It's astray. It's separated from the shepherd. It's, it's lost. It's scared. It's out on its own. It's trying to fend for itself. It's trying to do only what he can do on his own, his own way. Remember, he has wandered off. He does nothing on his own to be found. Who does all the work to find the sheep, the shepherd? And that's the same way with us. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to God saving us, we can do nothing to be saved. We're just like this lost sheep. Out on its own. But God, in his great grace, when we were helpless, when we were at our worst, worst moment, where we had nowhere to go, God came and saved us. The Bible tells us in, in Romans 2, verse 4, it gives us the answer that, that leads us to repentance. What leads us from turning from our own way, turning back to God, to turning to follow Jesus? It's the kindness of God. God is the one that comes through his Holy Spirit and stirs our heart. He draws us unto himself. He is the one who saves us. The fruit of that is repentance, where we turn and we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, because our soul has been awakened to the beautiful truth of the gospel. And we must trust in the good shepherd. Jesus continues with that same theme, and listen to what he says next. In verse 8, 
Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, what's significant about this is Jesus just talked about tax collectors, he talked about sinners, and now he gives a story of this, this woman. And that's significant because women were viewed as second-class citizens back in the first century. And Jesus, just like these, had been pushed away and pushed out by the Pharisees. Once, even the ladies in the crowd, to know, hey, listen, your society and your culture treats you less, but Jesus doesn't see women this way. He loves them. He loves them. And so in this story, he tells of this woman who has these ten silver coins. A lot of times what, what would happen back then, especially uh, a lady would maybe have like this rag that she would carry, and she would keep her coins in there, and she would have it tied up. And so this is kind of a picture of maybe she's in her house, and, and, and that rag has broke or something, and a coin has fallen out. And maybe it's fallen in the crack of, of the floor, or it's fallen under something, and she can't find it. And it's kind of like this. The, these coins are like a day's wages. And so she had ten of them. And so let's just use this example. It's kind of like maybe each coin represents maybe like $100 today. And then if you add that up, that's 1000 So if you lost one of those coins, $100, $100 bill, it's a big deal. And so you would go on the search. You would go looking for it. And that's what she does. It's obviously at night, so she lights a lamp sweeps the house, and searchfully, carefully, excuse me, starts searching until she finds it. Very similar to the shepherd who goes and looks for the sheep until he finds it. Now look at verse 9. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. There's something similar to this story. Does the coin do anything to be found? Not a thing. Not a thing. Only the woman. I want you to keep seeing that. I want you to celebrate today the work of God. Because that's what salvation is. That's what being saved, that's what receiving Christ, that's what having eternal life is. It is a work of God alone. She finds the coin. She's excited. She rejoices again with her friends because she found what was lost. In the same way, verse 10 tells us, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over a sinner who repents. God rejoices. Heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, who turns from trusting in their own way and turn to trust Jesus. Heaven rejoices. So we think about these, these two stories, and next week we'll look at the beautiful picture of the prodigal son and all that it means. But as we think of these two stories of lostness, that day in the crowd were really three different types of people. You had people who had contempt for Jesus. You had the Pharisees. The religious crew who, who grumbled over him because he would eat with sinners, hang out with, with people that they thought he would, shouldn't be hanging out with. Religion was important to them, more important than Jesus. They would eventually have, have him killed. 
We, we may be in here today, and, and we may be in that place. Or maybe we're religious. We're, we're depending on what we can do. We're, we're following our, our own way, and we think we're okay. May we don't realize that, that we're lost. May we don't realize our need of a Savior. We're all in need of a Savior. And there were others in the crowd that were curious. They were curious. They, they were following Jesus around, and some of them were, were beggars. Some of them were disabled. Some of them were women, just as Jesus was talking about, and they were looked at as lesser in their society, but not with Jesus. And so they were drawn to Jesus. They, they wanted to know more about him. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're curious. Maybe you're kind of kicking the tires of, of Christianity and about who Jesus is and, and how you relate to that. And, and maybe you're just trying to figure this all out. Man, we've, we've all been there before, curious and, and just seeking. I want you to know today that just like Jesus loves these sinners and these tax collectors, and he loves you. And he is that good shepherd. And he is pursuing you. And he went to the cross. And he died for you. And he put your sin upon himself on that cross. So that you could be saved. That you could have eternal life. That's what he did for you. And then there's those who have repented. You have changed. You've been changed. God has saved you. You're new. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You have a relationship with Christ because God has saved you. You're that sheep. You're that coin that he pursued and saved. And heaven has rejoiced over you and is rejoicing over you today. To you that are converted, you're you who know him. I want to encourage you in this parable, just real simple. Let us be people who rejoice. Let us be joyful about the things that God rejoices over. And what is that? It's his mission. It's being about his mission. He wants us to look around just like the shepherd did. He wants us to be mindful of those who are lost. They may be those in our neighborhood, those we encounter at different places, at work, at school, you name it, who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. He wants us, just like we heard a couple weeks ago, to go out into the highways and the hedges in Luke 14. And he wants us to compel people to come into the kingdom of God, to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is what we were to be about. And that's what Jesus, that's what he gets excited about. He wants us to be careful that we're not like the 99. That we just get in our little holy huddle. That we're just like the religious crew. That, hey, we're, we're all about Bible studies. We're all about these things. And let me hear you, let me, let me go back and say this real quick. Bible studies are great. Bible studies are awesome. But it doesn't say here, man, Jesus just gets stinking excited about your 10 that have been meeting for five years, seven years, eight years, or whatever, that, that hey, you're just you're getting deeper and deeper. He, he loves that. I'm not negating that. But what does heaven get really excited about? Lost being found. And so what's the point? The point is, make sure we're continuing being about the mission of God. 
and telling people about Jesus. Telling those who are lost, hey, you can be found. You can know God. You can have a relationship with him. And here's what God has done for you in Jesus, his son. He gets excited about that. And so my whole point is, man, let's stay on mission. Make sure we are fixed on the mission of God because that's what God is about. And that's what he's doing. And so don't give up on people. Jesus didn't give up on us. Keep going, keep praying, keep pursuing after those. Jesus didn't stop pursuing us. He went after us. He went all the way to the cross for you and I.